One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone, welcome to this Charlton Live podcast, it's Louis Mendes here. We've got a packed show coming up as we discuss another baffling week of the Valley and also indulge in some addicts nostalgia. We'll hear from the South London Press Sports Editor Richard Corley as he gives us the latest on the battle for control in SC7. Podcast regulars Tom and Nathan provide their takes on things and we'll also take a stroll down memory lane as we remember a classic fixture from years gone by and delve deep into the Charlton Live archives to hear our interview with former player Johnny Robinson once more. the first of our social isolating busting podcast the whole Charlton Live team are keeping well away from each other but thanks to the power of the WhatsApp call service we've been able to keep in contact and bring you our thoughts on another crazy week at the Valley. Later on we'll also transport ourselves back to 1998 to remember a classic Addicts Premier League game and listen back to our interview with the legendary Johnny Robinson. But first up on this week's pod is Richard Corley, the South London Press sports editor. He's always the man with the inside track on what's been going on behind the scenes at the Valley. And it's been another fascinating few days in SE7. Chairman, or possibly former chairman, Matt Southall and ESI majority shareholder Tanun Namir have continued their social media-based bout of handbags. The week started on Monday with social media influencer Namir posting on his Instagram that he planned to have the chairman and others removed permanently from the board via legal means and to take over the reins of the club by installing new board members that he'd chosen himself. Southall then finally broke his silence on Thursday. He'd last been seen seven days previously being marched out of the valley by security after a remarkable attempted coup involving staff members following orders from Namir. He now said that an ESI board meeting had taken place that afternoon and claimed that Namir had tried to install new members to the board but failed to follow due process. Southall also said he rejected any decisions made on his employment at the club as the proper procedures weren't followed. On Friday morning, Namir used official club channels to announce the departures of both Southall and Jonathan Heller from the board of directors, a role reversal from just 10 days previously when Southall claimed that Namir had resigned himself from the board. Finally, on Friday afternoon, Nimir was back on Instagram to claim that Southall is the subject of a police investigation and also somewhat haphazardly claim he has provided the EFL with everything they needed, which we believe may refer to the paperwork concerning the outstanding funding source and sufficiency information required for the takeover to be ratified by the EFL and Charlton's transfer embargo to be lifted. But that remains to be seen in due course. So whilst all this was going on, the Voice of the Valley and the South London Press both reported that some of the club's former directors who hold a charge over the Valley for the £7 million in loans they put into the club some years ago are now seeking to have ESI's purchase of the club declared null and void, which would remarkably see the ownership of Charlton Athletic revert to Roland Duchatelet. 
It's a fascinating turn of events. So this afternoon, I caught up with SLP sports editor Richard Corley to get his take on another eventful seven days in SE7. Charlton Live. So Richard, uh, another baffling week uh, in in terms of uh, what's going on uh, at the Valley. I mean, what's your overall view on things? How What do you think is going to happen next? Well, I think the big question next is going to be with regard to the club's ex-directors and if people have been following this story um, obviously it gets a little bit technical and a little bit legal I guess in, in many respects but the bottom line sort of I suppose to simplify it is the you know I've sort of just been reported we've, you know, I've reported it um, two of the ex-directors um, are going to take uh, or have started uh, legal action um, in terms of sort of letters that have gone out etc um, and the plan is as I understand it, that there would be an injunction that would be uh, enforced, or they'd look to enforce, sort of middle of next week, really, uh, middle to sort of just after the middle of next week. Um, that's the kind of deadline for what they want to happen, which is essentially East Street Investments takeover to be unpicked. So you basically go back, you say, um, Roland the Chatelet takes the football club back on. Uh, and you're back to reset almost from that point. Uh, I don't know how much detail we need to go into on that. I think essentially the ex-directors, they had a, a charge over the football club due to the loans they've got. If East Street Investments had come in and paid that those loans off, £7 million, of course they've got no say in matters. But I think what the, the, what's been said is that ESI's deal uh, effectively saw Roland de Chatelet add new charges and they are saying that is in breach of the agreement that's in place. Um, the million-dollar question on top of all this is not only if the ex-director is successful with, with what they're doing, and they do unpick the deal. Obviously, we don't know what Roland de Chatelet is going to want to do next. I think one thing we know for sure is he's not going to want to have the daily running of Charlton again, and so it then opens up a... A fairly uncertain scenario, I would suggest. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could then end up in a situation where it's, it's up to Roland again to, to move the club on to ensure he doesn't lose all that money he has in, in forms of loans uh, from state bricks to the club. So, I mean, it could put him under a bit more pressure to perhaps start looking to achieve a more realistic sale of the club. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, that's in the background, isn't it? That um, De Chatelet has, has put the loans into the club, 50-odd million, uh, which I think in all the negotiations he's had with interested parties, um, you know, the the 50 million debt has always been part of the actual uh, price, or, you know, essentially what you pay for the club. The problem's been that a lot of what I call serious kind of operators who've looked at the football club, they've probably said, well, yeah, we don't dispute that you've put 50 million in, but... In De Chatelet's case, that's because uh, the club probably wasn't operating as successfully as it could have done. So I think anyone that was interested always would have the mindset, why should we essentially pay for your mistakes? And I think that's where some of the problems lie. You look at the deals that have been agreed, the Australian, well, we say it's the Australians, but the Andrew Muir one and the one that ESI did. And I think in both of those, they've probably paid over the odds in terms of what serious, credible investors were looking to do, um, I think probably a figure of 30, 35 was more realistic. So that's what, that's one of the problems with this. And that's the question. Does the Chatelet look at it if he does get the football club back and say, right, I just want to get rid of this now. I've got to accept I've got to take a, a fairly hefty financial hit, which he can afford to take. Um, and then if he does, 
I think there are some people out there that would want to take the club forward. I think it's interesting the ex-directors have got involved at this stage. I think initially people might say, well, hang on, if the deal... Um, was in breach effectively um, why did they let it why did they let it run along I think from their viewpoint initially obviously the you know the vibe was that East Street Investments had significant money and that there was going to be investment there so I think the ex-directors were happy to let this thing run its course for a bit because I think initially they thought they would get their money or they felt that ESI were a good bet I think the fact that they've now taken measures or at least a couple of the uh, ex-directors have taken measures I think it suggests that they obviously hear stuff as well and I'm guessing they're, they're, they're pretty concerned at the direction that the football club is heading in yeah, I mean, of course, because with the situation we were in, let's say, this time last week, and we talked about it on, on Charlton Live, we said, well, the, the happiest course of action would be if Tanoon all of a sudden, for whatever reason he hadn't done it before, was able to prove his source and sufficiency of funding to the EFL and was to, able to take over the club and then run it in the way that had been talked about over the course of the last few months. Now, are you under the impression that that is unlikely or, or it doesn't feel like it's happening at the moment? I can only say, hand on heart, some of the stuff I can't always say in the public domain, but uh, some stuff you can. Uh, obviously, we have to be careful legally. Um, what I would say, and it's not necessarily just a legal thing on this, but I would say, hand on heart, if you're asking me, do I think this has got a happy ending under Tanun Namir? I've got to say that I don't. I think that um, if you park all the situation with Matt Southall and all the kind of stuff that's played out in the, in the public domain, um, I think if you look at it without that, there would just be questions why the source and sufficiency of funding have not been agreed before all this other stuff kind of blew out there. The EFL have been speaking to me privately. They don't really comment on individual cases. They've said a few different things. And one of the things they said was that when you've um, passed the director's and owner's test, you then have a 10-day window for source and sufficiency of funding. Now, once that didn't happen, they say then that um, the other sanctions come into play, which, of course, in Charlton's case, was that they couldn't spend above existing levels, essentially under a transfer embargo, although they could replace one-in-one-out kind of scenario. Um, the EFL have said as well um, that the next AGM they have, they accept themselves that their process isn't great because what's happened here is you've had people um, accepted on the directors and owners side, but of course they haven't done the other bits, but they ESI are still running the football club and they've still got access to the club's money, you know, the central money that has come from um, the EFL and also as well gate receipts, etc. Albeit now, of course, we're in this sort of unmitigated scenario where we don't know when the football's going to start again. So I, I, if you're asking me, I've gone around the houses a bit there, but I, if, if Tanunamir's got this money it's and he can do the deal, I don't know why we're not a lot quicker over the line. I think we, could have, we should have been over the line earlier, even if there was issues with Matthew Southall. Um, I know that Tanun, I think, might have mentioned on his Instagram that uh, the documentation has gone over, but we're going to have to wait and see on that because, as I say, I've, I've got my doubts about it because I think the ex-directors now, I think they've taken the game into a different scenario. We're going to find out next week how serious, how legally watertight their claim is, but if it is serious, 
I don't see how Tallulah Mir does this unless he does everything, satisfies everything, and and, ta- and also pays the ex-directors out of, this, out of this as well. That's a lot of money. Bearing in mind, let's not forget, he's got to complete the freeholds. Um, or the idea was that they would get the freeholds to the valley and the training ground as well by June. Um, so... I, I've got to be honest. I, I, I think it's really unlikely that, mm. that, that, that it's going to end, end particularly well. And of course, the immediate future of the club is something that a lot of uh, well, it's, it's going to be a problem for a lot of EFL clubs now, considering yeah. there are no games. But irrelevant to that, I mean, we, we were told by Matt Southall that the money would run out in December. I know you and I have both heard noises from people that, the, mm. that there's possibility the money that we currently have could run out a lot sooner than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear that, that currently that the, the future of the club is in a bit of bit of jeopardy. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the fact is that the the coronavirus um, sort of outbreak and the spread of it and everything else and the kind of sanctions that the footballing authorities have taken it kind of is a little bit of a distraction in one sense. In that, in most people say, well, actually, yeah, we, we of course we of course we might struggle a little bit financially because of the fact that we've suddenly got this. This, this, this major, major situation we're dealing with. But that doesn't change the fact that even before this kind of developed and continues to develop as a, as, a, as a big story, that doesn't change the fact that even before that, there was an indication it was going to be December, but I think that was a figure... To, I think that date was just pulled out of the air by Matt Southall. I don't think everything I've heard suggested that there was a shortfall in funding and that that would be before the end of the season. And that was because... Uh, there wasn't enough money in the club's accounts in terms of EFL payments and gate receipts to cover all the expenditure. Now, that's another reason why you would say that Tanunamir and ESI, they needed to be in, they needed to invest themselves to actually avoid this situation. What isn't so clear, of course, is that the ESL have brought forward what they call their basic award payments, and that is going to be around £800,000. Um, I think for a for a championship side, um, that might potentially, I think, change the funding issue at least for a month and a half, maybe maybe a bit more than that. Um, but if you if you look at it, I don't know where that goes. That's the only thing that could change things for the coronavirus because football clubs might, if you're already in trouble, you might be able to kind of use it a little bit as a shield. But I do go back again. I think the, the, the ex-directors thing is going to be key to this because they could, even in this situation, even with what's going on in society, you know, at least a couple of the ex-directors there are saying, right, we need to, we need to kind of take action here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be... I, I, think the, I think the funding thing is a big worry. It's a big, big worry. And um, you only need to look at the deals that were done in jail. I mean, the... the the one thing that was a bit of a blessing for them is that under the Chatelet, they obviously weren't the, the wage bill and the budget and the spend hadn't gone up after promotion. If it had done when they come in in January and there was bigger losses being made by the football club, or there was a loss being made by the football club, obviously it would have been much more serious. Yeah, of course. Now, I mean, we've been you've been talking about things there that are sort of going on under the radar, almost behind the scenes. But of course, there, there has been this this public spat now that's been playing out for for two weeks between Matt Southall and Tanunamir on social media and on, on various club channels. They both had control of the club Twitter at one point, it seemed, in, in different stages. I mean, do you, do you think this is a bit, of a, a bit of an unnecessary distraction to what the, the major issues are at the club at the moment? I think, I think it probably is. And I think, as well, I don't think it 
probably is, and it really is. Uh, obviously, it keeps things ticking along and people talking about other things um, at this moment in time. I think the, the question I'd ask is whether this is the way that professional people operate at most football clubs. Um, and I would say the question is, how many football clubs have you seen um, with individuals, I'm not just saying one individual, but individuals acting the way that they have, and I can't really think of, of any other clubs that are like this. Charlton Lie. Cullen trying to take his man on. Chip ball back across. Bowers there. Pierce is there. Bowers there. And it's Charlton. Yes! 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 Oh, he's got Oh, Patrick Barr. The absolute German beauty. Woo! Dreamland. Charlton have scored. With seconds remaining. We've done it all. Gets it. Come on! What a time to be a hero here at Wembley! Oh my word! Oh my word! Charlton Live. Welcome back to Charlton Live. Many thanks to Richard Corley from the SLP for joining us on this week's pod. Uh, after I spoke to Rich, I caught up with podcast stalwarts Tom Wallin and Nathan Muller to discuss our views on the situation in SE7. Charlton Live. Wow, Tom and Nath, it's been a while, isn't it? How are you guys getting on? Yeah, not bad. Nath, what have you been up to, mate? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my room at the moment just looking at this same tree. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm going a bit mad, but yeah. I, might, I might try and go out for a cheeky little cycle tomorrow. I don't know. Um, what type of tree I'm, is it? I don't know, mate. I don't know. It's just tall and long with some things in like it. But... <laughs> It's not. It's not an oak tree anyway. It's like no. a thin tree. Thin tree. Like, Palm I, tree. I, 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 <laughs> mate, I don't know. I might ask him. I'm, ne- I'm not next door. I'm not, mate. There's because like, I, I live on the back of my woods. It's, it's like a you got loads of woods, and then it's a golf course. So I might walk up there later and have a little investigation. Yeah. See if anyone knows their trees on Twitter. <laughs> Tom, have you got any trees in view? <laughs> Uh, I've got a, a little fur across the road. Yeah. Is it in good health? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Oh, it appears to be. It's growing yeah. the other side of the other houses and I can see it over the top. So, yeah, well, that's I, the view from my, uh, my room. I think what I can judge from this part of the conversation so far is that you two aren't tree experts. So maybe, maybe we should turn our attention to Charlton. Um, I mean, obviously, we've, we've just heard there on, on the pod from, from Richard Corley uh, Tom, I'll say it to you. I mean, we're we're now in a bizarre situation where it may be beneficial to the club that we become owned by Roland Duchatelet again. Yeah, he's going to come and save the day, isn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, very very strange situation. Obviously, heard the interview with Rich, and um, yeah, I don't really know where it leaves us. To be honest, I think the question you asked about ideal scenario is that Tanoon comes up with the cash and you know, stands by all the statements and the words he's been giving and, and runs the club successfully. But as you heard Rich say, he's just not that confident that that's going to happen. So if that doesn't happen, then to me, the next best thing, which is, I can't believe I'm saying it, is that Roland comes back and takes charge. Because I think, as we said the other week, although it wasn't exactly great times under him, he at least had a, an element of stability and running the club on a very tight budget. Whereas at the moment, obviously... We um, could be in a lot worse situation if Tanoon takes over without the money behind him. So, yeah, bizarre set of circumstances. I mean, what, what do you reckon, Nath? I mean, so far Tanoon has been unable to prove 
his source and sufficiency. I mean, that, that Instagram post he sent yesterday on Friday sort of implied, he put in the comment that he has sent everything to EFL. Although, obviously, obviously I don't think that that's the proof we're after just yet. I mean, but what, what do you think will be the next step? Bearing in mind that these directors, these ex-directors have obviously decided this appears to be the time to make their move now. Yeah, like you say, I mean, just looking at the whole situation, even Tanu said that he sent the paperwork off, and I don't know if it's something to do with, I'm pretty sure it might be on that same post, whereabout he was saying that it could have been a difference of sort of formatting of the banking in Egypt or Abu Dhabi or whatever. Um, but even if that's the case, if it's just bank loans, and yeah, you can, you can probably see he's probably liquid, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to put that money into the club. You know, you can always have loads of money, but you've still got to say to people where you get it from, how much you're going to put in, what's your plan? Because you can't, in football nowadays, you can't just shove a load of money into a club and just let it sit there. And you can't just go and buy players like everyone used to. So I think that's probably, he probably has sent it, but it doesn't mean that it necessarily means it's passed and it's proved the criteria that the EFL, well, it doesn't look like they set much, but whatever their, their process is at the moment, but I, I don't really know. But, yeah, I don't really know where it stands. I mean, from when, from obviously from the get-go, when it all kicked off with, you know, with the, the social media stuff and then the things that happened, like last Thursday, not last Thursday, the Thursday before, you thought maybe Tanoon will get it all sorted now and, and we'll see what happens. But the, now the revelations that, like, you know, you and Tom were just saying about that it could be possible by the time we next play that Roland's in charge is absolutely mental <laughs> I mean because you can't imagine. right so if we, if we cast our minds back to January and go right just for the bands right just in the middle of March hang on in the middle of March everyone football's going to be cancelled right the whole world's going to be going down coronavirus everyone's going to be self-isolated we're doing a podcast in three different locations where we're in a room and Roland's going to be in charge like, <laughs> I, yeah. not here. the odds on that would have been pretty yeah. pretty high someone would just assume you've been staring at trees for too long mate they, <laughs> they, they, I, they, I, think, I still think I'm in some bubble mate honestly this the whole thing is going mad and I think I'm resorting to trees mate <laughs> it's the uh, only uh, natural thing I've got in this world anymore yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so, I mean the way I see it is if it does revert to Roland if, if that is the case and yet what, what would surely be the next step is he will then again start to look to sell the club as soon as possible because he'll be then liable for the uh, the pain of the wages and everything like that. And he doesn't want the club to, to fall into administration because if it does, his loans of £50 million, as, as we were saying with Richard a, a few minutes ago, will, will, will surely be wiped out. So whoever then comes in to buy the club wouldn't have to pay him that money and he'll lose that money. Now, do you think this this sort of situation he may find himself in and the experience of selling the club to people who've clearly come in and offered a lot more than it's actually worth for it. Do you, do you think that will make him rethink his strategy? Do you think all of a sudden he'll he'll now think, well, maybe it is time that I accept a lower bid. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for two years running, that surely at some point he's going to realise he's not going to get that amount of money for the club. But do you think this could be fine? I mean, that that's my hope. This will finally be the tipping point for him. I mean, he's not, he's not a logical man, I guess, is the answer to that. So we don't know. Tom, what do you reckon? Yeah, that's the thing. And you say it's our hope, and it definitely is. And he's not a logical man. But you have to stand by the fact that 
he's not going to get this lucky twice. And, and Rich said it himself. He's going to have to take a look and appreciate the fact that if he doesn't manage to sell the club on, as you say, he's taking on that asset and that loss week after week after week. And we kept saying it on the show when there was rumours about how much he was losing a month. And you think, well, if you sold it now at a knockoff price, okay, you're making a, a bigger hit straight away. But if you're losing whatever it was, rumoured a million a month, if you don't sell it for another year, that's 12 million extra that you've put into the club. So look, if he does get it back, he's going to be fuming because as far as he thought, he was getting rid of it and then he was going to get a, a sweet out in, in Dune. And if that doesn't work out, he's going to have to lower his price. He just has to because I don't think he, he can put up with keeping it anymore. And I think one of our big fears was that he would just run the club into the ground. But as you say, that's going to affect any money he gets out of the club anyway. So yeah, for me, if it is, and there's a lot of this to the point where Roller does come back in charge, but if that is what happens, then he's just going to have to look to, to palm it on and, and pass it on as quickly as possible. And I think the only way he does that is by taking a, a hit and, and then taking a lower price. Mm. And then obviously, Nate, like, like we said, the ideal situation, I don't know if that's the right the right wording, but a potential situation is Tanun Lemire, all of a sudden he does come up trumps. You know, I mean, Richard clearly seemed... Yeah, and 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 he will he will know stuff perhaps that he hasn't put out into the public domain. But he he, he clearly felt that th- that would be rather unlikely. But if if that is possible, um, obviously he's tried to, he's tried to bring two members onto the board, hasn't he? Uh, th- this week in 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 this explosive sounding board meeting that he had with Matt Southall. So he's clearly trying to put a form of plan in place where he wants to try and run this club. Uh, and if that doesn't get taken away from him by the ex-directors, then he has to make sure that he has some sort of business plan for the next few years, whereby he's going to prove his source and sufficiency to the EFL and start running the club properly again. So for someone who, as far as we can tell, has no experience in English football, that's going to be a real uphill battle for him, You know, regardless of all the difficult difficulties we have in, in, in the world uh, with, with the virus at the moment, which will add extra challenges to it. He's, he's going to have a real sort of uphill battle uh, if he does eventually take control of the club. Yeah, he has. I mean, and obviously with the news that he, the meeting that he had yesterday and appointing these two new bods, you know, um, I don't really know too much about them, but I know that he, if they were saying that they're not there for the long haul, it's more... So I think the analogy they used was about, about heart surgeon or something. They're just coming in to fix it and whatever else, which is quite interesting. But however, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a massive task on his hands, for sure. And the thing that the problem that I have, or the worry that I have, and maybe a lot of a lot of other fans do, is is we may come into a situation, especially now that the, you know the ex directors of you know doing what they're doing, is that we could be in a situation where we've got probably one owner that doesn't even want to own us in Roland, and another owner that can't own us in Tanoo. So it's like well, we're <laughs> we're like back at we're like back at square one again. So it's like. Well, surely someone out there, and you know, how many times I sit here and think, if I won the lottery or become a multi-billionaire, I know I'd help out, but mm. it's like, we're, we're like Tom said, surely at some point, Roland's got to go, do you know what, I've just got to take a hit on this, because mm. he can't keep trying to get money for people to, you know, pay for his mistakes, as it were, and, um, but yeah, I mean, he's got a massive job, but he needs to get it done quickly, but until he gets this legal stuff done, 
and get, you know, gets a resolution from it, you can't really move forward mm. because he's got two things now, dealing with the legalities with the Matt Southall's situation and now the, the directors and possibly the unwinding of the ESNI deal maybe, if that's what I read earlier. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's mental. And it's just like, can we just have like, come on mate, a couple of months or maybe six months, let's just have six months of peace and quiet, do our thing. But no, nah, we never yeah, do. Yeah. So I would love it though if Nathan somehow became the the owner of the club. You imagine the imagine the, the protest, the yeah. protest around his house, dropping down his trees and <laughs> 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 throwing jam underneath your door. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so <laughs> yeah, only because of you. <laughs> so this week, obviously, we've seen a few a few social media posts. Um, Tanoon sort of uh, broke, sort of said something on Monday, didn't he? Which there wasn't too much in it. Um, he was talking about how it's been a difficult week and how he uh, he's working with some UK-based lawyers to finalise a process to take Matt Southall away from the club. Matt Southall then put out something on I think Wednesday or Thursday, um, saying that there had been this board meeting where he was told that himself and and John Heller, uh, Jonathan Heller, have been removed from the club, and that he he, he doesn't agree with that. <laughs> Basically, he's saying he doesn't think that 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 decision should stand, and obviously it's going to be going through uh, legal. He's also still sort of throwing mud at Nimmer's uh, ability to to run the club. Uh, and then we saw an official comment on the uh, on the Charlton Twitter, which said that. Um, Matt Southall and and uh, Jonathan Heller had been removed from the board, and which we will note now is the second time in ten days that we've had a announcement from one side of this telling telling us that the other side have left. So now both sides have been able to do that on the official Twitter, uh, and then of course Tanoon was uh, was back on Instagram uh, yesterday talking about how he he's aware of some sort of police process going against uh, Matt Southall, and like I say. Uh, mentioning in his comment that he sent his paperwork to the EFL. Um I I'm I, I live for the drama, you know. It's it's always nice to have uh, to have something like this to, to keep an eye on. But after a while, are we not sort of thinking, Tom, that this isn't really the way that um um businessmen of any real stature should be acting? I mean, yeah, I've thought that since day one to be honest, but the, the last few days in particular, and I think I said it on, on Sunday's show, but the last few days really has brought into focus the fact that the club itself is being just left to rot, basically, while they're having this private slash public fight. And it's just, there's a running of a football club to be happening here. And the point is that the good people at the club, like Chris Parks and Tracy Lieburn and those other names we've heard, they're the people that at the moment are keeping this club alive and that's not their job. That's not their responsibility. People like Tanoon and Southall, when he was there, they should be making sure that the club is their priority and at the moment they're not. They're so swept up in this this fight between themselves. So my main concern, obviously, as a fan is, is the club. Um, my worry at the moment is that the club is just falling by the wayside while they, while they get on with this scrap and... And like you, and I think we said it the other day, it would be amazing if Tanoon did come out of this and run the club properly, but we don't see that happening. And in the meantime, just the, the level of unprofessionalism is just unbelievable from the pair of them. Um, and I don't think, again, I think we said it on Sunday show, nobody's coming out of this really um, looking particularly good. 
and it's it's just a mess and it's unbelievable that we've gone from Roland to to something that we could legitimately say is even worse mm. I mean Nath because obviously no one's ever accused you of being a serious businessman or having any sort of level of professionalism about themselves but I mean even e- even for us it's um it's, it, it is a bit embarrassing I mean I, I was um you know obviously because we can't I can't go and visit them I was FaceTiming my nan and granddad the other day um and I was uh I was on the phone for nearly an hour and that's purely because my granddad, who's not a Charlton fan, asked me to explain the Charlton situation. Otherwise, it would have been about twenty minutes. Like it's it's, it's absolutely baffling. And fans of other clubs now are seeing this, and they must wonder what on earth is going on at Charlton. Oh, they do. I mean, even even the most recent events, like um, with the statement coming about, you know, Matt and Jonathan Heller you know, being on the board. I mean, on Company's House, they're still they're still showing as they're active. But they but the you know to news said that they're not. But I don't know if there's that the fits pending. It's just like I don't, I just don't think. Um, I think like I mentioned just before we all got on the phone when you spoke to Steve Brown and on BBC London just now, he said the same thing. Just airing airing your laundry, laundry in public. It just I just don't think there's any need for it. And as business people, um, one thing you do do is you don't, if you do make a, some sort of press release or statement that. It's you know you, you do it and it's in, in a professional way, but the way the whole scenario has been handled, it's just mental. So I mean, even talking to like my old man about it, it's, it's so weird. And like I'm getting getting messages in in WhatsApp groups from my brothers and that going, is this real or is this is this is this actually happening? And it's like because it's non, it's something that we've not seen before. Well, I certainly haven't. Even at Blackpool, it weren't this bad. Well, not that I can remember it being this like. How many, you know, how many TV shows can you can you cram into one football club like we've got at the moment? But um, yeah, it's mad and it's it's a bit embarrassing if I'm honest. Mm. Explain it to people; it's embarrassing because every time they ask you, you're like, I don't actually want to tell you. To be honest, <laughs> it's, it's actually cringy, and they'll be like, "Look, look at me, go nice, mate." You got to stop looking at those trees, Sam. <laughs> but, but it's true, though. It's absolutely mental. But it is what it is in the famous word of bow. But um, yeah, I don't. It, 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 I don't really know where to start with someone says that. I just go, "How long you got, mate?" I mean, if it took you an hour, it's going to take me about six hours. Do you know what I mean? Cause you're a lot more eloquent than I am. So, but yeah, it's what it is, mate. But uh, we'll wait to wait and see for the next term in the. Whenever that is this week, I suppose. Yeah, well, I guess because, like, I mean, Rich is sort of hinting that we might start and find out sort of this week whether the ex-directors uh, will be able to to take this forward properly. Um, I mean, if I was to put you on the spot, Tom, and said, is, is that now your preference? What, what, what would you say? On the spot, I'd have to say yes, because I'm not confident that Tanoon with what he's doing, just based on the way he's handled everything so far, the comments and the... The statements and everything have been fine, but the way that they've handled this just just has not been professional enough for me. So, yeah, if I was being put on the spot right now, being back with Roland, I think is probably the way it has to go. Obviously, it's not my ideal out of anything, but out of the scenarios that are currently on offer, the hope is then he would then look to pass it on and sell it on as quickly as possible, I guess. Mm. So, and Nate, your, your personal preference? It's mad, isn't it? I, 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 I don't actually know because, like, if you go, I don't know if you if you got misses now, and it's like asking which next door neighbour do you want your missus to run off with. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I just I have no idea. It's because if you think Roland, <laughs> no, surely, surely not. But then you look at Tanoon. I'm 
I'm sort of trying to cling on to think, oh, this will all be sorted out. Tanuna, you know, there was a couple of admin errors, you know, as it happens, and then it's all fine. But, you know, it's taken so long now, you're thinking, is there something a bit more deeper um, with the bill? And, but, I mean, I can't even bring myself to say it, but I'll, I, I, I ain't saying his name in those words, but I'll agree with Tom, exactly what Tom said. Yeah. And, and, and bring in Tom Dryson as manager, I guess. Right, something else I wanted to talk about away from the, the shambles that is our club at the moment is um, obviously it's now been announced that the EFL and, and the Premier League that are going to extend this season indefinitely until we can finish it. Um, so, with that in mind, you, you have to... Uh, and, and clearly everything is up in the air at the moment with what's going to happen... Uh, in, in our country and around the world and, and, and when we'll be ready to, to play football again. But if there is the possibility the next season has to be truncated, um, what what do you think, Tom, would be the best option? I mean, there's talk of that you maybe drop a cup competition, maybe only play home and a, a side home or away rather than both. I mean, if you could think of a way to, to shorten the season, man, what, what do you think is dispensable um, for, for, for the next campaign? Sad to say it, but I think the Cups probably have to go. Um, definitely like the checker trade. I know that hopefully won't affect us next season, but that can go. I think the League Cup probably can go. And if it had to, I think even the FA Cup could as well. For me, the League's the most important thing. And you want those home and away games against all the teams because they're big teams, particularly in the Championship. And you want that away day with them. But you also want to bring them to your place and show them what you can do. You look at Leeds this season as an example. So... For me, it would be making sure we still get the 46 league games and probably cut out some of the cups. Um, or you just try and then you just try and play them as much as you can, like both Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, or just try and get basically as many of them done as you can. I don't really like the idea of just playing each other once. Although I think if we'd done that this season, we'd probably be in a, a pretty decent position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it's probably getting rid of the cups if mm. we can. And Nath, I want to know how you're, other than looking at trees, how you're coping without football I mean I'll see the club will put up um, the whole of the 1998 playoff final so I think I might sit down and give that a watch tomorrow what, what else have you been doing to, to sort of fill the time because it is painful when it, when, it, when there's no football on it's amazing how how I, I don't think I'd ever realise how much I look forward to just watching any game like you come home on a Tuesday night and there's some random League One game on TV I'd sit down and watch it and now it's taken away from me I'm like what on earth am I supposed to do what, what have you been up to that's what I'm struggling, mate. I'm proper around, like, I think uh, even if if you could go down to Bromley like we do now and again, or even the Dog and Duck League, I'll go and watch that on a Saturday or where, but that's even cancelled. So I'm resorting to football manager at the moment. <laughs> Are you getting on? Uh, well, it's the 16-17 season, right? So I ain't up to date, as you can obviously tell by the date. <laughs> but Chol- Cholton is the one where we've got Nicky, Jose and Rojo, so I swear that squad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually at Swindon. And I'm top after 10 games, mate. Oh, nice. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm going to wait for, wait for the Sunderland documentary to come out because I don't know what happens at the end of that, so I'll be interested <laughs> to watch. T- uh, but, yeah, I'm struggling, mate. I try and text you not all the time, but you don't take back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'm struggling, mate. I just, I just might go out on a cycle and that. Um, but, yeah, it's struggling. It's I think not the football's obviously big, but I think for me it's just... Missing the banter with people as well. I think that's what I'm going to struggle yeah. with. So I can't wind anyone up. Yeah. 
It's strange for me actually. My dad, my dad came round and uh, liked to drop some bits off, but we are doing doing the isolation properly. So he drops the stuff off at the door, and then walks back walks back to the end of the drive, and then we sort of talk talk from a distance because that's that's the way you got to do it, now, isn't it? So Tom, I don't know, Tom, you've been watching Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's quite long anyway, so that'll take up a good chunk of the the coming year. But what else have you been up to? That's pretty much the plan. We're looking for the longest box sets we can find and basically shredding them out because there ain't much else to do is there so <laughs> just kicking around the house playing with the cat um that's about it really well, anyway lads look it's, it's been good to uh to, to speak to you and uh i might like i say I'm, i might take nathan's advice and start looking out the window and see what trees there are but um i hope you guys have a good week and uh maybe speak again soon cheers mate see you on the other side charlton live it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Great to hear from Tom and Nath on the podcast. We'll hear plenty more from those two and the other members of the Charlton Live squad over the coming weeks. Right, let's take a trip down memory lane. It's the 22nd of August, 1998. Charlton were promoted to the Premier League after that epic playoff final with Sunderland at Wembley in the summer. A 0-0 draw with Newcastle on the opening day was a solid start, but the game with Southampton at the Valley a week later would prove to be a memorable afternoon. away, balls for Robinson, the strike comes in, oh it's there, John Robinson claims the honour of Charlton Athletics, first goal in the FA Carling Premiership, Charlton fans have waited a long time for this moment and it's Welsh international winger John Robinson. Hunt getting the ball in for Mendonca. Jones making the save. It'll fall for Redburn. 2-0 for Charlton. 15 seconds of the second half played. And Charlton attacking right from the start. And Neil Redburn gets what might be referred to as his just desserts. Mendonca's away here, Mendonca's in, Mendonca's over, that's a penalty, that's a penalty and I wonder if the goalkeeper could be in trouble. So now Mendonca up against David Howells, Mendonca steps up, it's 3-0, Clive Mendonca scores for Charlton.
Here's Rufus. Striding through the centre of the defence there. Trying to find Mendonca and it almost reached him, but Rufus is going to get in now. Mendonca with a chance to make it four. Surely Mendonca, it's 4-0 to Charlton. Clive Mendonca. Well, Southampton have been routed here at the Valley this afternoon. And who would have predicted this? Charlton Athletic 4, Southampton 0. Charlton 4, could it be 5? Oh, it could be 5. Clive Mendonca has a hat-trick. And Charlton have wrapped up their first ever top division match in London SE7 with a 5-0 victory. And Clive Mendonca, who scored a hat-trick at Wembley to get Charlton promoted, has marked, has announced his arrival in the Premiership with a hat-trick against Southampton. So it was yet another hat-trick for Clive Mendonca as the Addicts ended the day on top of the Premier League table, an unforgettable afternoon at the Valley. Now the man who opened the scoring that day was Addicts legend John Robinson, the Welsh international made over 350 appearances for the club during his 11-year stay at the Valley. He was involved in both the first game back at the Valley in 1992 and of course the epic 1998 playoff final against Sunderland at Wembley. I spoke to the Addicts legend a couple of years ago for Charlton Live shortly before the dinner that celebrated the 20th anniversary of the playoff final. Let's sit back and enjoy that interview once more as John Robertson talks about that afternoon under the famous Twin Towers and first shares his memories of the momentous first game back at the Valley against Portsmouth in 1992. Charlton Live. Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of it was getting back home. I think that helped for everybody. Um, to realise that they had now a home, that there was no, there was the uncertainty had gone, and there was a vision of where the club wanted to go. Um, and as I say, when I joined in '92, that vision was put on the wall with the stadium as what it was look, hopefully looked like. And um, so for the for us to progress where we did do in in within five years, and then get the opportunity to go to the Premier League um, was a great achievement by the club. Whatever whatever went on that day. Um, but I think it was destiny that um, it, it kind of <laughs> it, it fell as it did. Mm. I mean, it, it, you were. I think you might be the only player who played in both games, actually. So, um, it, yeah. I mean, can you remember what the the feelings were? The, the, the difference between the the pressure of playing in the first game back at the home, but comparing it to the pressure of playing at Wembley and the chance to actually get into the Premier League. The, the back to the Valley dinner, the, the back to the Valley game was was obviously um, that was a celebration. I mean, that was a future, all the hard work that had gone into it before I arrived in September 92 from the board, from the club, from the fans, from everybody involved to get back was the achievement of what they wanted. Um, And they could now feel that the club was back in their hands. So playing in that game was more of a celebration. Um, more than anything, it, it really wouldn't have mattered. I mean, obviously, we, we never thought that, but I think to the fans, whether we, we lost or won or drew the game, it was irrelevant. Um, the day was about what it was. Um, and when, obviously, Mr Murray opened those gates, um, it, was a, it was a fantastic achievement from everybody involved. Um, and I think it was just fittingly, obviously, that we, we ended up obviously winning the game, which was great. Um, and it was a perfect ending to a, to a perfect kind of... Uh, 
week. But um, and then obviously the playoff final, that's a completely different animal. Um, that is, um, you know, you worked all all year, forty six games of, which I feel is the hardest league to get out of in the world because you have to. Everyone's wanting that golden egg, which is the Premier League, the status it brings, the financial reward at the time it brought for the club, the stability and everything like that, the future. That was huge pressure um, because again, you it didn't. <laughs> it's like anything. You when you're there and you can feel it and touch it, the last thing you want to be doing is is feeling that. Well, I'm not going to go there after well 48, 49 games with playoffs and all that. Um, so you knew that, that that was pressure, and that changed people's lives and effectively the way they um, where they progressed to, um, whether the team stayed together or not. Um, if we didn't go up, um, the future of the club, maybe even curbs staying around um so it was it was a big big thing so the pressure of both games there was no pressure in the first game which was more of a celebration the second game um the playoff final yeah that that was pressure and can you remember what the feeling like was in in terms of going into it because i spoke to mark kinsella last week and he was saying that the club felt confident obviously we'd had the this amazing run towards the end of that season where we just yep. weren't conceding goals or we winning plenty of games um, but Sunderland were the big dogs, really, weren't they? They were probably the favourites. They'd finished above us in the league. And they were, com- compared to Charlton, they are a huge club as well at the time. Yeah, they were big. I mean, Sunderland's still big. But at the end of the day, Sunderland were, were a big club. Um, they had obviously, obviously internationals in there, same as we did. But I think Kins is right. We went on a run. Um, and I think the self-belief within our group that you're going into the game knowing that, you know what, you you're not you're not just you didn't just scrape in there i think the the two people the, the two teams that deserve to be in there deserve to be in the final um for that game um finishing how they did finishing with a point tally that they did we did all of us so for us i think we were quietly confident going in um but at the end of the day as i said it, it, it's it's one game mm. it's you, you can be as you, you can be as confident as anything but at the end of the day i think we was we we just knew as a team and as a as a unit, that whatever happened, we we would be in the game. We would never, we would always be in and around the game. And then you just need a little bit of luck to go with you as well. And um, obviously, I mean, you started on the bench. So can you remember what your feelings were having to start from the bench? Was there disappointment? Can you remember how Alan Kirby told yeah, you? Yeah, well, at the end, of, yeah. I mean, I I mean, obviously for myself, I mean, we I got injured, um, and then I still had a cracked fibula when I was when I was playing. Mm. Um, so I was. I came back from injury. I think they, Charlton, I think Curbs arranged a reserve game to see if I would get through that um, myself. I think some of myself and Maltz or something like that. I think it was on the week before um, to see whether we would be able to get through because I hadn't trained at all um, for the last, I think it was maybe month or six weeks. Um, and I trained just for that week um, and just to see what, what, would, what would happen. And obviously... When when I got through the reserve game, um, there was a, there was pain, obviously still, but not majorly pain. And obviously, Mark Curbs uh, had to make a decision. And I think as much as I didn't agree with it at the time, <laughs> <laughs> door slammed and uh, was, was said because I played every game, obviously up to my injury and the whole thing. So, but again, I think overall it would have been the it was the right decision because I don't there's no way I would have lasted the game. All I was pleased with, I was being involved in it because I knew at that time we only had two subs. 
or three subs, one, one with a goalkeeper and two outfield players. At that time, it was 13 players, <laughs> 14, 14 players ago. It's not 18. So as long as I was involved in some capacity, um, that was what I wanted. Um, and I was just pleased I was able to at least have some part to play rather than break down and couldn't get back. Yeah, and obviously you came on uh, uh, quite an interesting time. We'd just fallen 3-2 behind, so we, we got back in at a 2-2. Then it seemed it was almost immediate that Niall Quinn made it 3-2 to Sunderland and time's running yeah. out, so you're thrown on with uh, you know, the last throw of the game, desperately trying to find a way to, to get into it. So it must have been a, one hell of an occasion to suddenly find yourself within as well. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was itching to get on a, a bit earlier, but I think um, with 20 minutes to go, I think... Um, that's when Kerbs kind of said, okay, let's let's see what we got. I think that was possibly where he felt I could maybe 20 or 30 minutes in, last 30 minutes in the game, maybe that's where I could um, be fit enough to be able to go into it. Um, as I say, only playing one game in the space of three months or two months or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, when the corner went up, um, I don't even know if I was meant to be on corners. I can't <laughs> remember. I think it was just because I was over that way. And time was, I think it was like 15 minutes to go or, or 10 minutes to go. Five, well, no, it must be about five minutes to go. Yeah, it was Ruth. five minutes to go when Ruth scored. Five yeah. minutes to go. <laughs> um, so it was like, I think it was just because I was over that way. Um, and all I remember doing is just make sure that I get it in the area. Um, don't don't stick it out. Don't that. Just concentrate and get it into the right area and let's hopefully someone attacks it. Um, and obviously, I think the goalkeeper kind of got sucked into the curl a little bit, but it was a great header from Roof, obviously, when he just towered above everyone. I think that was his first goal as well. Yeah, first ever goal. <laughs> <laughs> first ever goal. <laughs> There's so many stories that come out from that day, aren't there? <laughs> when, when, when you look yeah. back at it. I when mean, you look at it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so, yeah. so you get the assist, and we're, we're into into the extra thirty minutes. I mean, legs must have been tired by that point already after the, the ding dong battle we'd already had, and there was another slog, and we fell behind again. But it, it said yeah. a lot about the never say die attitude that Charlton had that they were able to come back once more, and of course, uh, Clive Mendonca scores that that most famous Wembley goal. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, that's what we had, and that's what I've always said to people. I, I, I obviously I can't comment on other people, are, but teams but when we were around for 12 years at that club um the people we had that came in every single time it didn't matter who we brought in the team spirit was the one thing that progressed that progressed that those teams and that came from the management that came from the board that came from the culture of the club that came from the environment everybody from the tea lady to jimmy the physio to mossy to everybody and the team spirit was always going to be there and i think that just drove us again and it was literally like we we ain't gonna we're not gonna give up here. We are going all the way. But it was the same mentality whether it was on a Tuesday night somewhere. Um, it was the same mentality for us. Um, and then, as I say, when when Clark scored that fourth goal, you just felt then you're like, okay, we've come from behind what twice, three times. Mm. I think it was three times, yeah, maybe three in times, the final yeah. play final. And you're like, okay, now could this be our day? Mm. Could this be our day? But um, yeah, it was an unbelievable goal, the the, the, the hat trick, obviously. Um, yeah, and then obviously extra time was was even more interesting, <laughs> and then the shootout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what what goes through your mind when you step up to take the penalty? Because I I, I don't think I could think of anything a, oh a situation when you'd no. be in any any more pressure, really. Oh my god, no! It's the biggest it's the biggest it's the biggest one game in the world. It's the biggest game. People say Champions League, but you're going to go. You're going to be in the Champions League next season hmm. if you finish there. You're going to be generally the people who are in the Champions League final. Generally, are the ones who 
obviously are going to be in it again the following year. Here you're not. Here you've got to slog another 46 games at that time, and you want, and everyone else is looking to get to the same thing. So you've got, it, it, it's not a given that you're going to be at Wembley again in the playoff final to get to the Premier League the following year. So it is the biggest one game in world football from a financial component, from every component in it. It is. Um, so to go on like, okay, well, now it's one kick. <laughs> it's, like it's now down to one kick. And for me, it was all I, could, I remember. It, I, I, only ever, I've, I only ever took two penalties before that. One when I was about 12, missed. <laughs> and one... Um, when I would played, when I was went for the, my hat trick against Norwich at home, and missed, and Kirby <laughs> laid into me because I wasn't the penalty taker. Yeah, um, and I missed that one. He laid into me just because obviously I wasn't the penalty taker, but they gave it me because I was on a, on a hat trick. <laughs> so that was so out of me. I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh, it's never going to get to me anyway <laughs> because I'm, I'm I'm the first sudden death person. So there's no one in a million years ten people are scoring. Or even get into it when it's the biggest game in the world, <laughs> um, to scoring or whatever. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm 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 like eleventh person, no way in a million years, <laughs> no way. So I was quite I was quite comfortable to be first sudden death person, um, and then and then knowing and then just watching them go, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> and it's going, and it's not like they're missing. It's quality penalties getting put up. And I remember speaking to Taff, Mark Bowen, and I'm like, got to about the third, and I'm like, on the middle of the lot, and I'm like, oh my god, this could this could come to me. <laughs> and then it got to the fourth, and he and I said to him like, what do, what do you do? What well, he said, just don't change your mind, do it, don't change your mind, pick a pot spot, um, and that walk, I had to have a little jog because my legs had gone. My legs had absolutely. <laughs> even now, I can't. I my legs go to jelly now watching mm. the damn thing. Yeah, it is crazy because I knew if I walked all the way, it'd be too much. Yeah, I had to get there as quick as possible, get me head down, and I didn't even look at the goalkeeper because it was all Sunderland supporters behind them. Um, so I just didn't. Yeah, I just didn't look. I, I put the ball down, turned around, put my back to them, and when he blew the whistle, I turned and there i'm just glad he didn't go to the right way because i think if he went the right way he could have gone back for a cup of tea come back and save it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's probably fair to say that when the winning penalty that the sasa saved i think the nerves had got to michael gray it was it wasn't the best yeah. penalty we've ever seen but you know sasa makes nah. a save and I, I just can't imagine what the delirium must have been like on the pitch to be involved in that and there's that famous photo of everyone bundling on, on top of Sasser and then everyone in the suits joins in after. I mean, can you remember exactly what was going through your mind in that dog pile? Oh, my God, yeah. Me, it was, it was who's going to get to Sasha first, me or Jonesy? <laughs> and I think I got there first just in time because I knew that and then all hell broke loose. It was just absolute. Like, you're like, oh, my God, this is, this is where we all wanted to be. This is where the club wanted to be. And I think... And I'm not saying it's different to other clubs, um, but the journey of what Charlton went through, of having to leave the ground, to get back to the ground, to have stability, to get to a play, to to I mean, we lost in the playoff semi-finals, don't forget, mm. before that. Do you know what I mean? So we we had been through heartache as well. So we 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 got through. We we lost to the semi in, 
in the semi-finals as well before that I think it was like the year before the year it's two years, years before. before yeah against Palace Palace so we we went through heartache before that so in in five years what we achieved in the first five to six years of that club and then carried on it it was anything but remarkable times mm. when when we got when they say when you got the affair going up sorry to the back to the valley then you going to playoffs losing playoffs in the semi-final and then coming back and going to the playoffs and going through that game and then to be honest with you I was so pleased when Sunderland did go up the following year because it, it showed a lot of character from them and to lose that like it is when it's 4-4 uh, it still now is the best game in uh, one of the best games yeah well there's no, no question uh, uh-huh. about that and um, so obviously the, the next season I mean we, we went all the way we came so close to staying up I mean we'll never forget that that game at Aston Villa, the 4-3 win uh, on the penultimate weekend of the season. But, you know, even though we went down, we came back stronger. And again, I think it's fair to say that what happened at Wembley was certainly, it seemed to be the catalyst for the success that the club had over the next five, six, seven years. Oh, 100%. It was, it was, just, it was but again, it was just the, the vision and everybody growing on one thing. And the biggest component was the management bringing in the players that had the Charlton way understood the Charlton way, keeping around people like myself or Steve Brown and people like that. Okay. I mean, just keeping around. I mean, when you look at it, we probably had 10 players, nine players that would have been around for eight years. I mean, we had testimony. We had how many testimonials did we have? What, what other club can, can look at that? We had coaches, we had Curbs, Gritty, Keith Peacock have testimonies. You had Brownie, you had myself, you had um, Richard Rufus, I think at the time had a testimony. I mean, there was people who had testimonials. Um, so, and then people were eight years. It's it's unheard of. Mm. So for us to have, as I said, they built it on and everybody had one thing. And, and again, we when you went through everything, I mean, we went back to the Valley. We lost in the playoff semi-final. We won the playoff final. We got relegated on the last game of the season. We came straight back up as champions. We finished seventh in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, when you look at it, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how it goes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the player final had a big part to play in, in where we wanted to be. It gave us a sniff of what we wanted. Um, we knew we could live with it. We knew we had to change some stuff when we went back up there the second time. Um, but it showed, again, the kind of character. It showed that Curbs, no one, no one left anywhere. When we got relegated, I think the only person that left was Neil Redford. Mm. So it showed where we want, showed everything, what we wanted to do, and how we wanted to go about it. Again, no one looked to move. No one went into the gaffer's office to say, "I demand a move because I want to be in the Premier League." They believed in what we were doing and believed in each other, and said, "Well." And the pressure was a different pressure then because everybody, the fans, everybody, the pundits, told us that we were having to go up. We were, we were, we were automatic to go up. Why? Just because we came down. But as you know, that's not always the case. Mm, no. So, and again, to go up and then to go up as champions and to have that experience and doing that, I mean, I'm, again, I'm so privileged to have been in those kind of things where the Back to the Valley, the playoff final at Wembley uh, and the championship and winning the championship um, and then finishing seventh, obviously, at that, that time in the Premier League, it's it's as I say, I, I'm I'm just so lucky <laughs> to have been involved in all of that. 
yeah, it was a brilliant time uh, for the club. Obviously, it's slightly different times now, sadly. I mean, uh, you're over in the States now, but you you still keep an eye on how the addicts are getting yeah. on, especially, of course, under one of your former yeah. te- teammates now, Lee Boyer? Yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's the right appointment. I think Bo knows the biggest thing, he knows the history. Again, Charlton is so unique. You have to understand the history. You have to understand what it means and everything like that. And again, Bo, Bo gets it. Um, he, again, it's obviously it was hard because at the, last year he didn't know if he'd be getting the job full time for this season or not. He went into this season all the way up to that, not really knowing still, do you know what I mean? Mm. So it, it's not people look at, okay, what's happening now? What's happening? But it, it's a preparation before. So I think the only thing could have happened a little bit is if they said at the end of last year, Hey, you're 100% in, do the announcement, bang, finished. He can then know he can go and get maybe the players he's looking for Go and look, there's other, do you know what I mean? Whole set up his yeah. stuff, set everything in the foundation, set everything up for the beginning of the season for preseason. But when there's still an uncertainty, you can't, if you're talking to a player, you can't turn around and say to him, well, I'm definitely going to be here because he hasn't signed a contract at that point. Yeah, it certainly makes it a lot more... It makes it, it, makes it hard, yeah. yeah. It makes it hard. People look at, okay, pre-season or the beginning of the season, but things for, for coaches and managers, they prepare well in advance. Of course. Who they want to try and get. Stability was the thing we had under Alan Kirby as well, of course. 100%. Exactly. Mr. Murray or the board didn't sack Curbs. They gave him a new contract when we went down. <laughs> <laughs> Seems crazy these, what, these day and age, doesn't what, it? But that's what I'm about. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is what I'm about. You didn't see the players demanding to leave. So it's the same here. It needs stability. It needs to say, you know what, this is it. It takes it takes time to sort itself out, as I said, because but Bo, did, as I say, was after, the, during the preseason, I think that you got eventually the... Um, confirmation that you're definitely doing it full time or whatever but he's the right person um and he's young obviously he's got the history he's got great experience um so why just not say you know what you've got it so and 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 it's progressing right i mean he's won what four or five on the bounce in the league yeah four yeah four on the bounce so i mean that's not an easy achievement at all in any league so um, yeah, obviously not pleased of obviously going out of the FA Cup, but the same thing is, I mean, he's he's quite honest as well, Bo. He played with his heart on his sleeve, and what he, he's the same thing. He's like, okay, that wasn't maybe my first priority. wasn't the FA Cup. If we can go up, then then that's the priority. And time, times have changed a little bit from when we, even when we were playing. Um, players are quite comfortable of being rested. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we, we're not. Like, we, we'd be smashing down club Bo, myself, Scotty Park, everybody would be smashing down closed, um, doors if we were rested. <laughs> yeah. If we were dropped, we could handle drops, but don't not rested. I mean, that's what we're there to do. And the games are now even, as I say, it's, it's different now. Mm. Um, so I think, um, but again, you have to change with certain things and have to look at it differently. Um, and yeah, I mean, Bo's won four, four league games on the bounce, and they're in a they're in a decent, they're going in the right direction at the moment. Excellent. And just finally, um, I wanted to ask, uh, of course, this week about another one of your former teammates, Darren Pitcher, yeah. uh, sadly passed away uh, last weekend. He also played in that back to the Valley game. Was in uh, scored yeah. the winner, of course, at Ewood Park in the FA Cup. He was he was well loved by Charlton fans, and uh, such a sad uh, a, a sad loss to see him go. Uh, it was a, yeah. It, 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 I couldn't believe it. Um, again, you share so many memories and um, 
times that people don't see behind on the training ground in the on the coaches going up and um in the changing rooms and i remember as i say darren obviously welcomed me when i came to batter valley so i back up to west ham and then went there um he was a no-nonsense kind of midfield at the time fullback then he got into midfield um and at times sometimes not as rated as what we we rated him as um because we knew what he brought but a genuine fantastic fella um i was really up, obviously disappointed upset um when i heard about it um it wasn't it wasn't a good feeling mm. because um again the camaraderie that we we had um and the and how many people helped me get settled in at, at, at charlton and give me the reason why I wanted to stay for 12 years was people like Darren Pitcher, Tommy Kate, and people, all those people when I arrived there. Um, Bob Boulders, I mean, so for me, Pitch was one of those people. Um, so I'd be sorely missed, that's for sure. Um, and at such a young age. Yeah. Such a young age. Charlton Live. All right, that's it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Charlton Live podcast. Thank you to Richard Corley, to Tom Wallin, Nathan Miller. And of course, John Robinson for joining us on this week's episode. I've been Louis Mendes. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. We shall see you back here next week. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.